Good morning. Welcome to the We Are Driven podcast. My name is Arun Kumar and I am the driver. I'm here today with my co-host, Dan LaRue. How are you today, Dan? Doing all right. Good morning, Arun. Good morning, listeners. All right. So, podcast number three. Today, I kind of want to give a bit of a background on myself. I've, I've already talked about being the driver and starting We Are Driven, but to get to sort of the ethos of why We Are Driven exists and why I'm the person to carry the message of We Are Driven, we need to go back a little bit and tell tell some stories. And so I wanted to get this episode out early in our series. And although most of the early listeners will probably know me, it's a good baseline, I think, for, for people who want to know more about the history of of me as the founder, we are driven and just better understand why this message is being put out in the first place. And so with that, we've got, you know, a few topics here to cover, but I'm happy to have Dan interrupt me with questions to make sure we're on track at any point and we'll get started here. So I, I grew up in Seattle and I'm an only child. I've, uh, you know, two loving parents, sort of middle-class upbringing. And I went through my childhood focused on doing well in school because that's what I was told to do, but also somewhat distracted by sports. I, I played a lot of soccer and basketball and ultimate Frisbee. I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I grew up. I went to private school my whole life. It seemed that everybody around me was a high achiever. And uh, I didn't really see the point in a lot of the high achievement and in academics. I felt like getting a good grade wasn't necessarily all that meaningful. And and it didn't really translate well into focusing on what I wanted to do after school, what I wanted to do for summer jobs and all that. And so work for me was something that I was only infrequently exposed to, whether through volunteering opportunities or working for my grandma in the summer, helping my dad with some of his um, health practice, uh, medical practice, uh, paperwork. There wasn't much in the way of business exposure or anything like that. I was a very, very passionate car enthusiast from before I can remember. I've, I've loved cars literally since before I can remember. And my first toy ever was a toy car. I played with cars on the, on the rug as a kid. I played racing games. I watched Top Gear. I watched the Transporter. I was into everything there was to be into with regard to cars and collecting diecast cars, media, everything there was to do with everything related to cars, except for driving uh, prior to being 16. <clears throat> so I was kind of an athlete, didn't really have much business exposure, and I was very into cars in my head, but never really did much with them hands-on. From 2013 or 2014 till 2017 is when I started getting into those things a bit more. My first car was a Passat W8. I drove it like I stole it. I became known as the driver in high school. That was my nickname. Uh, it was also my Xbox Live gamer tag. And 
again, I didn't care that much about school. I was, I was not trying very hard, but I, I was trying much harder at athletics and, and I was playing hard on the basketball team. I was finding a little bit of success there, but I was also finding a lot of injuries there and I won't go into too many, you know, Oh, I could have played in the NBA, but I got injured every year. That's not what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> You're tall <It's>, enough, though. <laughs> you know, I, I had the height. Uh, I was really small. I got beat up a lot as a as a 14 year old. Not I was not 14 in 2013, by the way. I got the years a little wrong there. Just a little earlier still. But <laughs> you know, I was just I was just kind of a regular kid doing what regular kids did, and. I, I just was sort of not seeing too much direction in my life. I went to college. I found a lot more freedom, but lost the automotive element completely. So I started out pre-loth. I'd watched TV shows and thought I could pick a job based on what was shown on TV as a lawyer. That was a horrible idea. I hated it from the first semester. I um, transferred into the business school and ended up falling in love because I was talented with it in accounting. So I was very good at accounting. And so I really enjoyed doing it. And so I went to every single professional deve- development event that was available. I did every single recruiting event possible. And I ended up getting a full-time job offer to one of the most prestigious groups in one of the largest automo- uh, automotive accounting firms um, that I that was available to me, which was PwC, basically the biggest firm in the world in into a really high performing, prestigious and selective group when I was 19. So sophomore in college was already basically pre-selected into that group um, to to get a full time job there when I graduated at 22. So I took that and, and experience and sort of took note of what happened. I was super intentional with doing something that I was good at. And it got me exactly where I wanted to go. I was able to generate results in business by taking intentional action. And it was because of that, that I sort of took power into my own hands and kept doing that even more. So I was coaching other people on how to do the same thing through LinkedIn. I would teach people how to define and then obtain their dream job while they were still in college. I was getting my own other jobs and working really hard, doing multiple jobs at a time and really enjoying being good at my professional career. Yeah. um, I know you had filled me in a little bit on um, your LinkedIn stuff uh, prior to, you know, being on on the podcast. Can you go over that again? Because I really loved what you did with that specifically. Well, yeah. So, so I was in a business fraternity. I went through it as a sophomore. And so it was around the same time that I was interviewing for and getting all the potential job offers for accounting firms when I graduated. Um, after finding success in that, I realized I had the formula to get a job when in college. I joined the business fraternity and unlike a normal fraternity where everybody just gets hazed when you're pledging, this was one where you do pledge tasks that are based on professional development. So mine was tell me your dream job and I'll help you get it. And I was famous for putting in more effort than the pledges (laughs) on their pledge tasks because 
I would ask them this, you know, three, four days out from their, from their meeting with me. And I would say, tell me your dream job and I'll help you get it. And so I would coach them through, first of all, what it meant to really land on a dream job. Because a lot of people just struggle with, I don't know what I want to do. I, I don't know. And I would just go down this, this list of questions of um, what do you like doing in your free time? What sort of news do you like to keep up on? What would you do if money were no object? Just the sort of basic questions that get people thinking about how would they spend their time adding value to the world passionately if they didn't feel the need to go get a job for security's sake. And so that was a very entertaining for me exercise in helping people figure out what their dream job was. So then we would define what that was. We'd figure out uh, sort of the, the 20 years from now dream job. And we'd work backwards from there. We'd say, okay, what job do you need while you're still in college? What job do you need when you graduate in order to eventually have that job, that 20 years down the road job? Yeah, that that is just such a cool program to me and something that I wish I would have had presented to me just because I fell under that boat of not knowing what I really wanted to do going into college. Um, you know, so so listeners, if if you're still having those questions, you know, Arun might be your guy to coach you. Yeah, and I, I had a career coaching business for a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I charged people money for about six months with my career coaching business, but uh, yeah, it, it would turn into, okay, now that we know what internship you need to go get, let's find who had that in the past via LinkedIn. Let's connect with those people. Let's figure out how they got those opportunities and take it from there. We'll, we'll structure your cold outreach messages. We'll figure out how to how to engineer those conversations to get you a, a job offer. Um, it, was a, it was a really excellent exercise. So I did that 64 times in college. I placed people in their dream jobs or the, Man, the that, job. That yeah. is just awesome. And uh, yeah, so I was doing all that while I was still in college and I, I was looking at, you know, okay, I'm going to go into my career soon. But in the meantime, I'm still in college, still got the business fraternity, really succeeding professionally, but I had nothing to do with cars and my fitness was sort of this eh thing that I didn't really try very hard at in the first half of college. I was big into my alcohol fitness. I would drink a lot. I loved to party. I would go out multiple times a week. I had a drinking crew that I would hang out with multiple times a week, not going out. And I was very into alcohol and, and getting to know beer, getting to know wine, getting to know whiskey, getting to know scotch, just sort of feeling like I wanted to become more of a sophisticated drinker, but also just enjoying getting drunk kind of intentionally as much as I possibly could. And that was always a distraction in a way. You could say in the early years, I only started drinking when I was 17. Um, But from 17 to 21, I was busy getting drunk very frequently and enjoying it for the most part along the way. Yeah, I could see how it'd be a big distraction. And especially in, in college, Drinking is a very common thing to do. Everybody goes yeah, and parties. Everybody goes, yep. <clears throat> Whether it's a sporting a sporting event, a party, it's happening. Yeah, and so, you know, it was even happening with this group that that 
is partially uh, an inspiration for We Are Driven. When I was a junior and senior, I really got into lifting and I'd, I'd stopped with all the sports, but I'd never really picked anything else up. And I think as an adult, weightlifting is a really easy one to get into because everybody has access to a public gym. So I found a, a basically a group of guys that was in my business fraternity and we would every single day without fail, go to the gym. And the reason we were able to do it every single day without fail and build that habit was because one of us always still wanted to go. So even if I was super tired, did not want to go super sore, hated everybody I was going to be going with, they were going to go and I wasn't going to be the one who didn't. I wasn't going to get out-competed like that by them. And I wanted to show up and continue to get better. And if they were going to do that, I was too. So that was, yeah, that was kind of how that went good for accountability, me. good competition, you know. It's, it's good to have those group of guys <laughs> in your life. Yeah, and so that was a great inspiration for me. But at the same time, this was part of the same group of guys that I would always drink with. <clears throat> And as college progressed, I found myself drinking more and more and focusing less and less on class, just sort of skating by and doing the bare minimum at work, knowing that I already had secured a a full-time job when I graduated. Um, And, you know, I'd go to the gym when I wasn't hungover. But when I, when I was, which was two days a week, it was also the same days that everybody else was hungover. So nobody would go to the gym. And got to a point where I basically stopped hanging out with other people socially because I was drinking more than everyone else and I wanted to drink more than everyone else. And I would try to pressure other people into drinking as much as me. And then I would black out and I would not remember what happened for the rest of the night. And usually I would do something probably a little questionable, maybe a little, you know, bad and I something I shouldn't have done. And it would end up with me debilitatingly hungover the next day. Like I would not be able to go to class. I'd not be able to go to work. I'd not be able to meet any of the obligations that I had set for myself that day. And because of that, I felt guilty. I felt shamed. I felt like there wasn't really an option for me to continue to attempt to drink with other people because it was just this thing that I didn't seem to be able to control when I started drinking. And yeah, I didn't drink every day, but I was every single weekend having the same sort of cycle where I would get super drunk and blackout on Friday night, wake up Saturday, have a few beers to get through the hangover, and then start drinking with with other people or maybe just by myself in the afternoon, end up blacking out again Saturday night, and then end up going into Sunday super hungover and be recovered just in time for like a 7 p.m. meeting on Sunday for for class or for the fraternity. And it was a very painful cycle. And it was so much so that I really tried to fill my schedule so that I wouldn't have to or I wouldn't have the opportunity to drink. That was what I was trying to do is I was working business fraternity class I was doing everything I could to make sure that I didn't have the opportunity to drink because for some reason I would always end up rationalizing it. And as painful as it was, I kept coming back to somehow rationalizing it and I would end up drinking again and having similar consequences to the last time. Man, dude, that just, 
that sounds like a crazy wild ride that I don't know if I could experience. Well, and the thing is, is I was, I was helpless. Like I didn't know what was going on. I had no like education on this kind of behavior. I just had a bunch of people who were concerned for me. My girlfriend was concerned for me. My roommate was concerned for me. My parents were concerned for me. And it was just like, I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. I had no resources and I was continuing to suffer through that same behavior. And I was justifying to myself, no, I can't just not drink. I need to figure out a way to like moderate my drinking better because I need to be able to go to happy hours for work. I need to be able to entertain clients. I need to be able to hang out with my friends. All of those situations involve beer. I'm not going to not drink. So that's the only non-negotiable. Right. Like you you don't know <laughs> what's causing you to do this drinking. And then cognitively, you know that you might have a problem, but you don't know how to get there because you're being hazed by the alcohol. It's, it's a whole circle of a mess that leads well, you down the road. Yeah. And, and one last point on this is I was going to therapy. I was going to a lot of therapy. I had a couple of uh, like very dramatic uh, not very, not very harmful, but very dramatic uh, suicide attempts under my belt by this point where I was just saying like, screw it, I'm jumping off a building. And then somebody pulled me off the ledge of the building. Uh, I drank a whole bottle of NyQuil one night. Um, I considered running out into freeway traffic. At one point I biked over to an off ramp and got off my bike and was ready to jump into traffic, but decided I didn't want to ruin somebody else's day. <laughs> yeah. um, so our, it was... <laughs> Yeah, I was I was being considerate, even though I was in such a bad (laughs) mental headspace. But it was uh, it was a tough time. Absolutely. And and I was attempting to solve it by going to therapy, trying to figure out what was wrong with me. Um, And like I said, I was filling my schedule, filling my schedule like crazy and working really, really hard. And I was doing well in school, had a great girlfriend. I was. you know, making good money. I had a lot of leadership roles and from the outside, my life looked good. You know, I was this guy always showing up somewhere in a suit too important to spend much time with you. I didn't really want to, I was too cool for you. And it was uh, a house of cards behind the scenes. And I, I'm glad that you relaxed off of the suit thing. Cause I don't well, know I if I, <laughs> we'd be friends now <laughs> i was showing up in a suit everywhere i don't even need to i don't i yeah my uniform now is a t-shirt <laughs> right right yeah we're, we're much more relaxed these days yeah but yeah so so i was working really hard and and there was one night february 28th 2017 i was a senior in college i was just about to graduate actually two weeks later and I was coming home from work at 1030 at night, 1030 at night. I was done with the day and I was ready to go to bed. So I walked home and was getting ready for bed. And I thought, you know, it'd be nice to just have one beer. Just, you know, I got home kind of early. Don't need to be up till six. Let me just relax and have that one beer. It'll make me nice and warm and fuzzy and go to bed comfortable and sleep well. So I walked out to the fridge and 
opened the door to the fridge and saw the six pack of IPAs I had waiting for me there. And I thought, yeah, I'm just going to grab one and go back into my room. But like I said, my roommate was already concerned with my behavior. He didn't really want to see me drinking. I had made many promises in the past to to not drink on weekdays, to to moderate and all that. And he he was moving around in his room, which was right on the other side of the, the wall that the fridge was up against. <clears throat> and so I heard him moving and I got kind of scared. So I ran back into my room. I thought, I don't want to break my promise to him. This isn't, this isn't something you need to do. And so I was back in my room, no beer. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, you don't need to drink. You do not need to do that. Don't even go back out there. Just go to bed. And the next thing I knew, I had gone back outside and grabbed the entire six pack and brought it into my room. And I drank the whole six pack. I went out to 7-Eleven, got another 12 pack, drank the whole thing. Went back out to 7-Eleven, another 12 pack and a pack of cigarettes. And I didn't really smoke, but when I drank, I did. Yep. And I was still up at 2.30 in the morning. Now it's Tuesday. Got to wake up for work in three and a half hours. My blood alcohol is probably... 0.2, Yep. You know, still hammered. Yep. <laughs> 18 beers later. <laughs> and I, I was looking at my, my situation right then. And I thought, you know, I just started this job that I'm waking up for early the next day. I just started it two weeks ago and I'd already called in sick twice to work. Did I really want to go through that again tomorrow? where I was going to wake up super hungover. I was going to email in and say, Hey, I can't make it. I'm not feeling well. Just sporadically, you know, I do it for a day. I just say, yeah, I'm not feeling well today. So I'm not going to come in, but it's a brand new job and I can't really do that, but I'm so hungover. There's no way I'm going to be able to make it in. I'm so drunk right now. I'm going to be so hungover the next day. I'm not going to be able to make it. So I had already had this idea that I would basically say, screw it all. I just want to end this because I don't know what I'm doing. And I feel like I've let everybody who loves me down. So I want to get in my car, drive to the middle of nowhere with nothing that could track me. And rent a trailer in the cheapest part of the country, somewhere like Kansas, Nebraska, Mississippi. Just, I wanted to go somewhere where nobody would find me. And I was going to rent a trailer, fill it full of alcohol and drink myself to death. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of empty spaces in Nebraska. Figured, I figured I could get away with it out there. (laughs) You, you could have glad you didn't know. Yeah. And, and so I did. I packed a bag at 2.30 in the morning and got in my car, set the the destination for Albuquerque, New Mexico, because I felt like that was a good stopping point. I drove for the entire day to Buckeye, Arizona, just outside of Phoenix. I was drinking the whole way down, throwing beer cans out the window, stopping occasionally to, to smoke a cigarette. Um... I had to pee a lot, obviously, drinking that much beer. So I 
at one point took a exit really fast and crashed my Honda Accord um, into a barbed wire fence just off the road. <clears throat> understeer. That was one of the first times I learned <laughs> learned a lot about understeer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was it was a very rushed and and you know foggy now in in retrospect i don't remember much of it but it was it was a painful drive and people along the way had kind of figured out that i had disappeared um but i made it to buckeye arizona made it to a days in at a truck stop and i rented a room that night and the next morning i woke up on the floor and just said screw it if I keep driving, I'm not ever going to make it anywhere. So let me just stop here and do it here. So I went out, got my head shaved and went to Walmart, filled a shopping cart full of alcohol, brought it back to the hotel room and started drinking. Uh, the next couple days, I, I barely remember anything. I was throwing up a lot. I, I had cut myself a few times trying to bleed out uh, and I was just not succeeding as quickly as I was hoping, but I was definitely doing a lot of damage and I was just getting down as much alcohol as I could trying to get alcohol poisoning, damage my liver to some extent. Um, but I was not well, obviously at all. And all of a sudden there was a knock on the hotel room door <clears throat> And it was my mom. So my mom had figured out from my credit card where I was. She'd flown from Seattle down to Phoenix and gotten an Uber from a guy named Bob in a Silverado. And I can't, I still remember that. Oddly um, specific. Yeah, oddly well, specific. <laughs> it was one of those things that like she she knew how much I loved cars. So she was trying to talk to me when she got there, just about anything that would keep me keep me conscious and talking. And she mentioned the Silverado, so I still remember that. Um, but you know, I was in I was in really rough shape. I did not want her to take the alcohol away from me. And I was um still not really sure what to do at this point. I was just like, well, it seems the the jig is up, but I don't really know what happens next. And I, I just kept drinking in the, in the hotel room and she let me. Um, so for one day more, she, she just sort of stayed there with me. Uh, and it turns out in retrospect, she was setting up my visit to detox and then rehab. And at one point during this time when she was making phone calls and doing logistics, she was, uh, like sitting on the couch or something like that in the hotel room. And I was in bed and I rolled up off the bed and I thought I'm going to escape. I don't have my car keys. I'm fairly able to walk, but I'm getting out of here. And so I started stumbling towards the door and I didn't make it. She got there first. And uh, when she got there first, I realized, you know, I'm 6'8", 250 pounds. She is 5'11". 150 pounds. I could probably move her out of the way. Yeah, oh yeah. I bet you could have. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I I stood there for a second just looking down at my mom knowing what I was capable of doing in that situation to get what I wanted. But my mom's never done anything to hurt me, nothing to ever warrant violence from me against her. And 
So in that moment, you know, my I had my hands balled up in a fist and I was just like not really sure what I was doing. But I put my hands down and I just gave up and walked back to the bed. And that was a surrendering moment for me where I was just like, all right, I don't know what's going to happen next, but it's not going to be something of my own choosing. I'm just going to let the world take over here. And so that was it. I, I kept drinking. I was drinking Jack Daniels in a water bottle that I had mixed with Ugh. water. Ugh. <laughs> gross. And uh, yeah, it was it was gross. Um, but my mom basically, well, I, I guess I'd probably put myself in the backseat of my own car on the floor and was just sipping out of that water bottle as she drove me from Phoenix back to uh, Southern California and dropped me off at a detox. And I was dragged out of the backseat of my own car by the white coats. Um, you know, if you've seen a, a psych ward movie, the the white coats are real. Um, yep. A couple, couple of big dudes that knew they could restrain me if needed. And yeah, um, my, my, my wife watches enough intervention. I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so I, uh, I wasn't going to go anywhere, but that was the, the worst and best day of my life. That was my 22nd birthday, March 3rd, 2017. And I was done. I I didn't want to live. I had no real idea what got me to that point, but I was done. So over the next 30 days, 35 days, you know, I, I sobered up from that. And I began to learn about alcoholism. So the rehab was this sort of spirituality based, mindfulness based thing. So you would um, sort of audit your your thoughts and memories and figure out triggers from your past that were super emotional, things like that, that were uh, causing you to to have such mental health issues. And then on top of that, I went to Alcoholics Anonymous where I was learning what is an alcoholic and what I could do to fix my alcoholism. So I, I started going to 12-step meetings, Alcoholics Anonymous, and I learned that I was an alcoholic. I have a phenomenon of craving when I start drinking. That means that I will not stop drinking once I start. And I also have a, a mental and spiritual illness that causes me to forget or rationalize away all of the consequences that came of not being able to stop drinking. And so I would do it again and again and again until somebody knocks you on the head hard enough to wake you up to that reality. Yeah. <clears throat> and so I learned through that, that 12 steps for me work, other tools that I, that I use today still work. And I've been sober for almost six years now. This is, you know, February 15th, 2023. So coming on six years. Hey, and, man, that, that's a, that's a hell of a feat. I absolutely yeah, and, love to hear it. Yeah. And, and, you know, not a drop of alcohol in that time. It's not like there's, oh yeah, you, you can have a occasional sip, right? Like you, you have no, champagne to celebrate. Uh -uh. None of that. No, no. Because, <laughs> yeah, because that, that's the, that's the trigger that restarts you down the path and, and why you hear, uh, why the relapse percentage among alcoholics is so high because it's so easily attainable. It's always in front of you. Someone's always offering it to you. So hundred percent. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. Kudos for you from making it from literally start 
to the end of time as as it is now for you. That's just awesome yeah. to hear. Yeah. And so, you know, I wanted to die. I didn't want to be here anymore. I thought my life was over. And I had I had nothing else to live for. But God has other plans for me. I, I believe in a higher power because there's no way I would have survived driving 700 miles in a near blackout, throwing beer cans out the window if it weren't for some someone greater than myself knowing that I still need to be here for something. There's no reason otherwise that I would be here. That's one of the most impressive things about that story to me is how you made it <clears throat> that far. Just blows yeah. my mind. <laughs> yeah, and and so because I now have a second chance on life is why we're here, why we're talking, why we are driven exists, why I, I have taken the approach to life that I have now. And, and I believe, you know, I got the word tattooed on my shoulder when I was 19, which was before all this, all this story just happened because I believed in the word as something that I was a highly motivated person. I was super passionate about cars, but despite that, it was, it was as though I was okay ending my life. And so now there's only one way that I can live and that's to make every second of this life count. And we'll, we'll get into a lot of these details in future stories, because this is what I I'm trying to do with this podcast is both share experiences that myself and others have had in taking this very intentional driven approach to life. But it's also to track where we're at because I'm by no means done and I've got a lot of life left to live that I want to make sure that that other people can share in the journey and learn from it for themselves so that they don't have to repeat the same mistakes that I make so that they don't have to spend as much on the tuition of life that I have had to spend. And, and I've gotten so much out of podcasts just like this in my life. And so that's what I want to bring to others. In the last six years since I got sober, I graduated from college and rehab. <clears throat> I went to work at the job that I got when I was 19. And I was a corporate finance operations and strategy consultant. So I worked for a big, big accounting firm. We helped companies go public. We helped with deal structuring. We helped with mergers and acquisitions, alternative investment investments, joint ventures, big deals. And as much as I liked doing the work and I was good at it, I didn't give a shit about my clients. Most of them were just random tech companies that I didn't really even understand what they did. There were two exceptions, Tesla and Uber. And although everybody who listens to this probably hears those and goes, oh, not Tesla, not Uber. I don't uh -huh. give a shit about either uh -huh. of those companies either. <laughs> Nevertheless, they were the most car related thing that I had really done in a long time. And I was excited to work on them and deploy my additional automotive expertise into, into those transactions. And so I helped structure Tesla's first lease securitization deal back in 2017 or 18. Um, and it was, it was me and a couple of other uh, PwC professionals working with the CFO and the controller of Tesla. And so the only reason I got to be on those phone calls and participate to the extent I did was... I am a car guy. And so I understood what was going on. I understand lease residual values. I understand how lease payments work and financing and all that. 
yeah, it, it, that, I was just about to say, like, you have that understanding of what's going on, it, it, where you know the lingo, you know exactly who to talk to. It, it was crazy. This had to be uh, a huge thing because that was about the time Tesla was really starting to amp up and cars were being sold and being delivered. I think it must have been right when the Model 3 came yeah, out. Yeah, it was actually, like right when the 3 came out. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, like, man, that had to be a, a heck of a time to get in that space and be talking with Tesla because... Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of electric vehicles, but I it would would still be an honor to work with a company like that. Yeah, and then Uber, kind of a similar story, but you know, basically, my understanding of the automotive business was what contributed to my ability to to be a a valuable asset on the team was to just be a car guy. And so I thought to myself, like, why don't I only work on automotive projects then? And so I tried to find a company that did that. I tried to find a company that only focused on automotive. I didn't want to move to Detroit. So that was kind of out of the question. Um, <laughs> as, as somebody who uh, grew up uh, about 45 minutes south of Detroit, um, I, I can't say that I blame you. I really can't <laughs> say that I blame you. Yeah, well, and it was, you know, in retrospect, should I have potentially sacrificed and moved to Detroit just to get the automotive experience that I wanted. Maybe, maybe that's the right maybe, thing for some people to yeah. do. Um, but for me, you know, Seattle, California, I'm a, I like the weather. <laughs> it's yeah. It's Detroit weather's gross, dude. Yeah. yeah. As much as I would like to pay a hundred thousand dollars for a house that costs a million out here. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so I started doing, pro bono, you know, for free automotive consulting projects on the side during strategy operations and finance work. Uh, I started doing that in 2018. By 2020, I had my first paying client, uh, which was a shop in London. So let me backtrack to tell you how I got there. I met my wife at work. I learned on our second date that she was going to be moving to London to go to London Business School and get an MBA. I decided to join her and, and get married and move to London with her in 2019. We, in the move, decided that it would work for me to go get an MBA around the same time. So I applied to join the program the year after her. And I transferred with my company to go work in London for six months. And after six months, I, I turned in my notice because at that point I was really not liking my job. I was very dissatisfied working for other people, playing the politics, not being in control of my income, stuff we can get into in another episode. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, start for another time. Yeah, and I I uh, formed Driven Performance Advisors in 2020. And so I started working with, with shops predominantly, helping them with strategy operations and finance, helping them with growth, helping them with hiring, helping them with processes, helping them with bookkeeping and accounting and taxes. All stuff that I already knew how to do, but I was so excited to be doing it, working for myself and working with companies that I really cared about. Like I said, that that's going to be a story for another time, more in that transition, more on what's happened since then. But basically, I've been in, in entrepreneurship pretty much exclusively since, since 2020 and uh, built a couple six-figure businesses so far. We're working our way up to seven. But, you know, that's part of the we point. I'm get not, there. I'm not, I'm not, we'll, we'll all get there. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not like already driving the supercars. I don't have the creds of a lot of uh, people that are kind of sitting in the same seat that I'm at somewhere else. But 
uh, that's all part of the journey. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah. that that's okay that you're not driving the supercars because <laughs> I still feel like I see uh, guys and gals in your position who buy those supercars way too early in their yeah. journey. Like they well, just, you should put that money towards something else. And that, that is kind of part of my journey. Not to say that a 99,000 mile M4 <laughs> was a, was a huge flex that I overextended for. Um, but it, it ended up kind of being that. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I mean, um, I, I feel that way about my Audi. I was like, did I really need to buy it? No, but I wanted it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, so that's business. That's where I'm at today with business. Obviously we are driven. We're here to pursue uh, excellence in business, fitness, and cars. So I kind of think about everything that we're doing here in those three buckets. So we've talked about business on fitness. I, I told you I was into weightlifting. I was weightlifting uh, before I got sober, continued weightlifting after I got sober, gained some weight when I started working and I was really only lifting half an hour a day in the gym at four in the morning. And as disciplined as that makes me sound, I was not com- disciplined at all with my eating. And I was 267 pounds at my heaviest. And, and I did not like what I saw in the mirror. Horrible body image issues. Wasn't taking good care of my joints for being somebody of my height. And I was just not happy with where I was at with my eating. And 2021 to 2022, I've done multiple 75 hards, the whole live hard program, gotten a lot out of first form to really help me understand new food and nutrition significantly better to the point that I lost 50 pounds. And I've accomplished more with my body than I ever thought would be possible in the last couple of years. And I'm very excited to continue to share that part of my journey with people as well. And then as for cars, I had that accord. (laughs) So when I was, when I got sober, I I only was leasing a Honda Accord. Um, I graduated from college, started working, started getting some of my own money, got myself an Infiniti Q50, started modifying it, decided I wanted a less expensive project car, got a E46, uh, 330ci BMW, um, learned how to drive stick with that, started changing oil, started changing tires, started racing, started learning a lot more about um, about the, the hands-on side of cars to go along with my fast knowledge already. Today, I'm, I'm up to six cars and just loving every second of, of having a fleet, a tow rig, a trailer, a race car, multiple automotive businesses that I've, I've been able to, to utilize to really get the most out of my automotive hobby. And I, I want everybody who's kind of into cars to do everything they possibly can with project cars and, and loving the, the hobby and getting into the business if it makes sense to them to do so as well. Yeah, I cannot like echo Arun more about, you know, get into cars, turn a wrench every now and then, whether even if it's just changing your oil or rotating your tires, like it, there is something therapeutic about it, like getting out of the house, going to the garage and just going to do something with it, you know, just turn on some music in the garage, have your beverage of choice and just hang out. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, so to wrap up, business, fitness, and cars. Before before I got sober, it was it was kind of all on the path and I was learning a bit, but I, did I really understand it? Did I really, was I really making the most of it in my life? No. I had a, got a second chance on life. I was a suicidal alcoholic, didn't really want to be here anymore. 
got a second chance. That was completely out of my hands. I'm going to make the most of it. And I'm doing that every single day as we speak. And so that's what I want to share with everybody here. And so if you've listened this far, thank you very much for listening. If you want to learn more about We Are Driven, you can head over to wearedriven.co. You can find us on Instagram. I'm at Arun D. Kumar. Dan, where are you? Uh, I am on Instagram as uh, DLaRue95. Uh, I'm on Facebook as Dan LaRue. Don't try and find me on TikTok. I won't be there. Uh, <laughs> Twitter, Twitter, not not a thing I really use. And uh, LinkedIn, I'm also on there as Dan LaRue. So. Cool. If you have any questions, feel free to hit me up anytime. All right. And with that, thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great rest of your day. Stay driven.